0: Let's start our time together by going to the Lord. Well, actually, before I do that, I just saw the waves from the women in the back. Uh, Before I do that, now is the time that we would like to release children off to Children's Church. So if you are a wee little one till, what, second grade? Then please head out the back, and you are going to have some fun. I want you to know that every time I forget to do that, I get in the car and my wife just looks at me. Like, I don't even care what you said today. You messed up. With that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we come before you now, God, and we praise you that that you are sovereign over, over all things. God, we praise you that you have given us a mission. Lord, as the song we just sang it said, let to our mission be true. And God, we know our mission because you have given it to us and you have told us to go and make disciples of all nations. And the reason we are even having a conversation about getting the gospel to every home is because that you have given us that purpose. And God, if anything, we should repent, for, repent to you from all the other things that we've made church beyond that. And so, God, we come before you now, Lord, we do come in a spirit of repentance, but also in a in a spirit of excitement over what of the good news that you have given us. And God, we pray with all of our hearts that you would um, empower us, just like the song said, to be a blessing to other people as we make the gospel known to them. Lord, as we gather today, we have many other things to pray and to lift up to you, Lord. We lift up those that have lost loved ones recently. Lord, we lift up the Knott family. We lift up uh, the family of Carolyn Burton. God, we lift up the Mills family, Lord. We have seen many uh, people connected to this church and people that we love who have lost loved ones recently. God, we pray for your comfort and peace to be on these families God, we pray in every situation, Lord, that that these families would look to you as their comforter, but also rest in the hope we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The hope that we have that that this world is not the end for us, but that we will go on to be with you and in glory if we are in Christ. My God and joy, we lift up those that are having surgeries coming up this week. Lord, we think of our, some, several of the men in our church that are going to have surgeries. Lord, we pray that those go well. We pray that they will stay healthy. And Lord, we pray that they will recover quickly. Lord, we praise you because even now we have more people in this room that, than we've had in the weeks past because of what you have been doing. God, whether it is through vaccines that allow us to gather once again or, or through just the stirring up of, of hearts through the good word that you have, have laid on them. Lord, we praise you that we are gathered here today. But God, help us to remember that we are not gathered here just to do some singing and hear a sermon. But God, that we are gathered here to worship you. To worship you through song, to worship you through the word, and to worship you as we leave from here and make you known among the nations. Lord, we ask these things in the precious name of Christ Jesus. Amen. You know, when I was a younger person, I was never really that worried about safety. I was not a, a particularly, I was not something that I particularly thought of when I made decisions in life. I, I was in particular not necessarily worried about my safety. I didn't think about whether things were a, I don't know, a good idea or not. Jump off a cliff into some water. Absolutely. Hold my stuff. Move away for a summer and live with strangers. Been there, done that. Travel across the world in a time where we didn't have cell phones and, and, and Zoom and all those other things all by myself. Checking in only after the whole thing was done. I'm down. Already packed. I honestly don't think that I could possibly ever apologize enough to my parents for what I probably put them through in my younger years. As a young, independent adult. Now, I moved to Kentucky and realized that some of y'all get on top of motorcycles and jump off of giant piles of dirt. And now I don't feel so bad. But there's no question that there was a time in my life where I just wasn't that concerned about my safety. But things change. And maybe it's because I've gotten older. Or maybe it's because I've gotten wiser. Or maybe because it's just easier for me to get hurt, and when I get hurt, I stay hurt longer. But I have a little bit more concern about safety today. And not just my safety, but now I have to think about the safety of myself and how that affects the safety of my my wife and even the safety of my family. I will forever remember with great clarity the first time one of my kids went on a trip without us, and it was an overnight trip. Now I'm not talking necessarily about spending the night at a friend's house. I have never thought twice about shipping Laney off to Lane's house because that just meant I didn't have to feed her that night. Never had a problem with that. But I remember the first time one of my kids got on, it was on a school bus for a school trip and they went to another city that was not Elizabethtown and stayed in a hotel. And I remember that first night that she was gone, I was laying in bed wide awake, Far too worried about the situation. My brain just kept rolling over scenario after scenario of what would happen if. What would happen if she got separated from her friends? What would happen if, 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 she, if she got lost in the hotel? What would happen if some evil person with intent to do evil things managed to cull her from the herd? even as i do think about myself i have come to a point in my life where there are certain activities that i don't do that i used to do with very little thought it seems like for the first time ever in the last few years i have said the thing josh maybe you can relate with me on this i've said you know i'm over 40 now maybe i have no business doing this when there's no one around me to call nine one one. i have done a few things in my life that involved Ladders, climbing, stretching, never even thought about, well, what, ha- what would happen if I fell off the roof? I have those thoughts now. And think, you know, I really don't want my wife to come home and just see me laying in a hump, in a crumpled pile in the front yard. And since Sharon just looked at Dave, I'm assuming he hasn't learned that yet. Suddenly, my need for safety has changed And my appreciation for safety has changed. This is partly because I've come to the realization that this world is not safe. Now, I know that the world may be a little less safe than it was 20 years ago when I was acting a fool. But I don't think that it's necessarily that the world has become less safe. It is just that I have become more aware of the danger. And safety is something that I desire and a desire not only for me, but for my family and my friends and church family as well. I want to know that I and my family are safe from the things outside of them. Safe from car accidents so we wear seatbelts. Safe from evil people so we have things like cell phones and we make sure we follow the rules and and I keep a close eye on my kids. Safe, having our home safe so that we lock the doors and we keep things in our house in order to protect our house. We want to be safe from the weather and so we take care of our house and make sure that they are built well and, and protect us from the elements and that we know what to do if heaven forbid a tornado should come through. I also want to know that myself and my family are safe from the things that actually happen inside of us. There's a reason why we have face masks and hand sanitizer in the midst of this pandemic. There's a reason why I go to the doctor regularly, and it's not just because I like to see my doctor. I don't but because I don't want to find out somewhere along the road that, that there is something wrong with me that could be treated with medicine that needs to be addressed and is not being addressed. We worry about things like depression and anxiety and stress. And I want to know that my kids are safe mentally and physically. That if they have problems, that they can talk to me. And if they ever needed help, that they would ask for it. Now, we often think of these first two, safety from the things outside of us, safety from the dangers of the world, and also safety from the dangers of of inside of us that that may cause us trouble. But do we always think about this third kind of safety, which is, I want to know that my family and that I and and my church family are safe spiritually. That they are ready to meet the Lord either in death or upon his return. Unfortunately, most of the time we don't think those questions and we don't think about our spiritual safety until we realize that our earthly time is drawing near. And suddenly we become very concerned about our salvation. And maybe even if you are the one that is going to be with the Lord, you suddenly become very concerned about other people's salvation because you want them to be where you are, right? I would argue that we as the church need to be every bit as concerned about the safety of the souls in this room and in our community as we do about their physical safety or their mental safety. In our passage today, we encounter a man who who first sees all the things that make him feel safe fall apart. And it is only through thinking that he has lost everything... That he finds the only thing that will save him and make him secure for eternity. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. And we're going to pick up in verse 22 and read through to verse 34. You see it on the screen already. And I want to give you a little context about what is going on here. In Acts chapter 16, we have the the two kind of main characters, if you will, from our story is, is Paul. And a guy named Silas who is traveling with Paul. And Paul and Silas have been going through um, different areas, and they have been preaching the gospel. And in one particular town, they go through and they preach the gospel. And and a a woman named Lydia gets saved, and she becomes this huge person in the church. He writes about her later. But also, there is this slave girl. And this slave girl is possessed by a demon. And her demon possession allows her to tell fortunes. And her owners are making a lot of money off of her. But as they go into the the, the town and this slave girl begins to talk about them and, and, and make it known. And they finally, they turn to her and they cast the demon out of this slave girl. And suddenly this girl is released from the enslavement that she's experienced for what we can only assume is almost her entire life. And while I have no doubt she was relieved and and in awe of finally being set free, her owners only saw a lost income. And so in light of this, they brought up charges against Paul and Silas, accusing them of things that they had not done and stirred up the crowd and ultimately had them beaten and thrown into jail. And this is where we pick up our story today. If you are able to stand for the reading of God's word, I would encourage you to stand. It is a long passage. We're going to be reading verses 22 through to verse 34. And the word of God says this. The crowd rose up together against them, that being Paul and Silas, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison's house was shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and every chains, everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the house. And he took them that very hour of the night, and he washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Please be seated. We need all the context, but I want to focus on just two lines of this verse today. And I want them to go deep into our minds. This jailer asked this question: Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. So how can we find safety, eternal, real, meaningful safety, in the dangerous world around us? We see right off the bat, by the response of Paul and Silas, that it starts with belief. Notice that the jailer's question is responded to with, with one verb. One command is in the midst of all of that. He, they say He says, what must I do to be saved? And the response is, believe. That is just as true for us today as it was for that jailer 2,000 years ago. If we want to be safe in our relationship with God and thus safe in eternity, we have to believe. Now, this sounds so easy. In fact, maybe for us, this sounds too easy. Because we all seem to struggle with the notion that belief, we might say in the church today, we might say faith is all that we have to do. I remember a long time ago, we took our youth group back in Missouri to this place. I think it's called The Edge. And it's a high ropes course. And we got, remember I was talking about doing all those stupid things and not caring about my safety? I got to just live that out there. I got to do zip lines. I got to jump off a telephone pole to a trapeze bar. I got to do all kinds of stupid things. It was great. And one of the things we got to do is we got to climb up a telephone pole... And then once you got to the top of the telephone pole, then you had to walk across a telephone pole to another place and climb again and go across. You got to kind of be Batman. It was awesome. But to make that so I didn't die, they would put a, a belay on us. They would put a harness on us. And when we would climb up, we would have to strap into a string up above us so that if we did lose our balance, if we did fall, the string would, the rope would catch us. And as we would get to the top of the thing, every single one of the, the students and myself that decided to go up that, that, that tower, that thing, we would always get to the part where we were supposed to just walk across a telephone pole that was horizontal. But the temptation was always to grab the rope. Because if we had a hold of the rope, we knew we were okay, right? And the guy on the bottom, he kept hollering at us. He's saying, don't hold on to the rope. Don't hold on to the rope. Believe that the rope has you and just go. But we couldn't do it. Every single one of us got to the top. And if we would have let go with our arms, we would have had a better balance. We've been able to move better. We wouldn't have put pressure on the rope and had it to kind of resist against us. It would have been better for us. But every single one of us grabbed that rope and was like walking around like this and trying to hold on to it, hoping that that if we held on to the rope that we would at least feel safer. And just like I and those other people had to grab that rope, often we think in our spiritual life that we have to hold on to something else besides faith to be right with God. The command is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we say, okay, maybe I'll do that, but I'm just in case I'm going to add on, I don't know, tithing, generosity and I'm going to give away, I'm going to give to good things, and I'm going to do good deeds, or we're going to include service projects, or even we're just going to, I know that it's just belief, but I just feel like I need to add something else to it. And we're holding on to a rope when in reality, it's not that we shouldn't do these things, it's not that they aren't important, but we have to understand those do not make us right with God. In fact, the moment that we try to, try to argue that that something that we have done that makes us right with God, we diminish the power of the cross. Scripture is clear that salvation does not start with our actions. What we do, what we say, how we dress. That salvation always starts and can only start with belief. Belief. Paul says this elsewhere in the scriptures in, to the church in Ephesus when he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, belief. And that is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no man may boast. But it's not just belief. I want to I make that clear. It's not just belief, it's just believe in something, but it is belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. We look again to their statements and what they said. They said, he said, what must I do to be saved? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they say, believe in the Lord Jesus. Have you ever met someone who told you that they were a spiritual person? Have you ever got to talking about church or something like that? Maybe at work or maybe in public and someone says, well, I mean... I'm a spiritual person. I have family members like that, and I know, I know who they are, but since we live stream this now, I can't just give names. And they would say, well, I, you know, I'm a spiritual person. I just think it's really important that, that, that I'm spiritual. And my thought is always the same, and, and I'm sure that it is just written all up on this face. And my thought is always, what the heck does that mean? To be a spiritual person. When the jailer asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? He did, they did not respond that it was just important that they believe something. When he looked at them and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They didn't say, well, as long as you have some belief, I'm sure you'll be okay. And yet people in our country and people I would dare say in this town... Say that kind of nonsense all the time. Instead, Paul and Silas defined what kind of belief he was supposed to have. The belief that we talk about is not general. It is specific. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? Does that mean that you just need to believe that Jesus was a real historical person? That he existed and he's not the figment of of someone's imagination? Does that mean believe his teachings? And if you kind of do the same thing Jesus did and and, and you, if you, you know, treat others as you treat yourself and love your neighbor, that you'll be good? Does it mean believe in his miracle and say, yeah, I think Jesus, he probably did some pretty awesome stuff. And I kind of think he did feed 5,000 and walk on water and all that stuff. Well, Paul clarifies this. And he makes it very clear for us, what are we to believe when it says believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? We find that in Romans 10, 9, which is a verse that I am pretty sure that we have read every week of our emphasis on evangelism. And I pray, I'm not going to pop quiz you right now, but I pray by now you know it. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. So, according to Romans 10, 9, what are we to believe? Well, most importantly, we are to believe that Jesus rose from the grave. We are to believe that the tomb was, in fact, empty. Essentially, the question of what should we believe about Jesus, the answer is really All of it were to believe that Jesus was real, that his teachings were real, and what he taught was true. Believe that he really was the Son of God, God in the flesh, who died on the cross for your sins and for mine, and who rose from the grave three days later, defeating death and the grave so that we might live with him. It is not enough to just have faith in some abstract deity or being some sort of random spiritual person. We must all believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to have peace with God and safety in eternity. This leads us to the reality of what they are saying here when it says that if we wish to find safety... It only comes through salvation in Christ Jesus. Paul is very clear in his words to the jailer. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. There's no mincing of words there, is it? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I want you to understand if you are in this room today and you have been wondering, how can I know that I am saved? How can I know that I am going to be with Jesus when I go to be with the Lord? How can I know that if Jesus were returned today, that I would not have to cower in fear, but worship my God? And the answer is this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Have I said it enough times yet today? If this man, this jailer, will trust in Christ, believe all that has been written, then he'll be saved. It did not matter what his past was. I'll be honest with you, and I don't think we talk about this enough. Being a jailer in in the ancient world was not a good job with benefits. You know, sometimes we might think of, of someone that serves as a, works as a prison guard today, and, and, I, and I've, I've got family members that have done that for years, and, it, and it, it's a good, consistent job. The hours aren't great, but it's a consistent job. You get great benefits, great medical, you're working for usually the state, and, and, and it's, a good, it's not a bad career. It's really not. That was not what a jailer was in the or, or old times. Jailers often dealt with the worst of the worst. They treated them poorly. They were probably, to a certain degree, um, sociopaths that could dehumanize people. Their conditions, if you have ever gone to uh, an old castle or an old place and looked at their dungeon or their their prison, they are awful places. When I was younger, as I mentioned earlier, I had the opportunity to go to the prison connected to the the palace in Venice, Italy. And I say that to tell you that when you got into the prison, and this is this beautiful city. When I walked into the prison, one, I made sure the door stayed open. The prison had no windows. It was completely made out of stone. It was dark. It was hard. It was dank. And the the building was not tall enough for me, and I am not him, Joe. I could not stand all the way up. It was built so that you would have to hunch over and that you would spend the rest of your days either sitting or bent over. These were not good places. This man was probably a hard man who dealt with the worst of the worst and probably treated people with contempt. It did not matter if he was a Jew or a Gentile or anything else. Undoubtedly, by this point, Paul has gone on to places that are predominantly Gentile. And this jailer was undoubtedly a a Gentile. And even if he was a Jew, he would have been one of those people who had a job that made him not really welcome in the synagogue. It did not matter if he had money or not. Now, this jailer may very well have had money. But Paul and Silas did not care. All that mattered was whether he had put his faith in Jesus or not. It goes on to say that not just him alone, but his household too. Now, there is some point of contention here, and there would some that would believe that just because he received Christ, that then his whole family would receive Christ. But rather, I think we ought to interpret this, that salvation is not just meant for the precious few who experience some sort of miracle or encounter with God. Often we in the church get overwhelmed by this idea of what do I feel? Do I feel like I know God? Do I feel like these things? And Paul and Silas are saying it is not just you who has salvation extended to him because you have witnessed a miracle, but it is to your whole household, to anyone and everyone who wants to hear this good news and receive it with joy we're reminded by Paul and Silas's words that that the that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved both you and your household means that the gospel invitation is not just to a few of you in this room but to everyone in this room and not just a few people outside of this building but to everyone outside of this building this includes the child who will place his or her faith in Christ as well as the elderly who seeks the Lord in their final hour? This includes the wealthy who may be great tithers and dress nice, and the poor who may never, ever, ever be able to make a significant monetary contribution to the church, but would probably serve it with all their heart. It is to the worldly saint, the one who we would view as a moral, fine, upstanding citizen, but also to the worst sinner those who are convinced that to even walk in the building would mean that it would come crashing down. If you will place your faith in Christ, you will be safe. Safe in the arms of the Lord for all eternity. You may ask, how do I know this? And I will answer because he's told me so. In the gospel of John chapter 10, we read these words. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the hand of my Father. I and the Father are one. Now, saving faith in Christ does not mean that, that you will be safe from all the things that the world can throw at you. The reality is is that we live in a fallen world and bad things happen to even seemingly good people. But when you have placed your faith in Christ, you can know that you will experience the safety and security of a God who loves you even in the midst of everything that the world might throw at you. We know we are safe, even if the world may seem like it's not. The world is not safe, and it never will be safe. But you do not have to live in fear, because you can experience safety and the security that we have in Christ Jesus. But first you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is, will you do that today? We have taught that in this church, and hopefully most of us have got this down now, but we use a, a diagram called the three circles. And those three circles begin with the reality that God has a design and that God is the creator of all things, that he made the heavens and the earth. We read that in Genesis 1.1. And when God designed, when God made all things, he's, it's, it implies that he made everything with purpose, on purpose. And that includes you and me. So when you were created by God, God had a purpose and an intention for your life. And if we would live in that purpose and in that intention, and if we would live perfectly in God's design, then we'd be golden. But we don't. In fact, as you look around this room, if you're sitting here going, oh, I don't, I don't think I followed God's design, I want to let you know you are in very good company. Because not a single one of us has. But all of us have departed from God's design and, and sought to kind of create our own. And when we depart from God's design to create our own design, that's called sin. And sin is the best way to define it still to this day, in my opinion, is sin is when we do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, regardless of what God wants. When we decide we're going to do our own thing, we're going to create our own design, we depart from God's design and we have sinned. And just like if you try to use something, if, if, if somebody invents a, a device And you try to use it in a way that it wasn't intended to. When we sin against God, we find ourselves in a place of brokenness. You know, if you think about it. If your kid or your parent, depending on how old you are, decided to give you an iPad. And you looked at that iPad and you know, and you thought to yourself, you know, that looks just like a cutting board. I think I'm going to use it as a cutting board. It may make sense in your mind, but when you're done cutting that onion on that iPad, you got a broken iPad. And when we say to ourselves, you know what, I know what God's design is, but I'm going to do my own thing. And we do our own thing. We become broken people. And we try, to, we try to fix the brokenness. You know, you could pot, try to put a screen protector on that iPad. You could probably use tape or, 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 you know, who knows what it might be. But you know that no matter what you do to that iPad, no matter how much you try to cover up the break brokenness, how much you try to, to, to mask it or hide it or whatever, that iPad is still broken. And we do the same thing in our lives. We try to cover up our brokenness with religion, morality, We try to distract ourselves from our brokenness with alcohol or drugs or relationships. Try to numb our brokenness, maybe pass it on to our children, hoping maybe they'll be more moral than we are. But no matter how you try to fix your brokenness, you're still gonna be broken because we can't fix brokenness from a place of brokenness. And so we need something outside of our brokenness to deliver us from our brokenness, and that's where the gospel comes in. The gospel is the good news that we've talked about all morning, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, came to a sinful world, lived the life we couldn't live, died the death that we deserved on the cross, was buried and rose from the grave three days later. And as our scripture even said today, if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe that and we make Jesus the Lord of our life, then we'll be saved. We word it this way, we say to repent and believe. And that belief is there to believe that Jesus is everything that he said he is. To believe that he rose from the grave. And then when we talk about repent, that means turning away from our sin and our own sinful ways and our own sinful desires and turning to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Remember what we have already read today in Romans ten nine that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, if we make him Lord of our life, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved, and we will be delivered from our brokenness and able to recover and pursue God's purpose for our life again. So our question for you today is a question that we've asked many times. Where are you on this picture? I'll give you a clue, you're probably not I'm 100% sure that you're not in God's design because none of us could be in our own power. And if you've not received the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we have to acknowledge that you're still in that place of brokenness. And if that's where you are, what is preventing you from repenting and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved from your sin? If that's your desire today, we would invite you to make Jesus the Lord of your life today. I'm going to stand right here. And if you would like to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and you want someone to help you through that, to walk you through that experience, then I will be right here. And as we sing our last song, we would invite you to come forward to talk with us and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You don't have to do it up here. You can turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Will you pray with me right now? And guess what? That still works. But don't leave today saying, I'll get around to it tomorrow. That jailer, when those doors flung open and those chains were loosed, he didn't think he had a tomorrow. And I want you to understand, you are not guaranteed tomorrow either. So what's preventing you? The answer is nothing. Then I would plead with you. Make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior today. Let us pray. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we thank you so much for your word, God, because we know your word is truth. God, we pray from the the deepest parts of our heart that you would, would convict every soul in this room that if they have not made Christ their Lord and Savior, Lord, that they would do so today. Lord, I pray for those that are watching online and maybe they're on Facebook just scrolling through because they know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. They are watching this video now. Lord, I pray for them also. God, I pray that you would convict them of their sin and that they would receive the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that they would be saved. God, we know that that happens only through you and your spirit. And God, that it is only possible because of Jesus and his death and resurrection. And so, God, we pray that you would move in the hearts of this congregation and those that are watching online. And God, that this good news that we have, that we see exemplified in Paul and Silas, will be the good news that we take out of here to a world that desperately needs to hear it. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name, amen.